why is it that a, a, an independent woman like Emma has to ma get married? It, 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 she just had these, she questioned things that the mm -hmm. times did not question. We live in this in close society. This is how it is. Do not try to change anything. This is just, you know, but these, them's the rules, just live by them. And she questions that. On this episode of Playtime, we hear from author Jeanette Watts. Her new book is My Dearest Miss Fairfax. I'm your host, author, artist, and playwright, W.C. Jeanette Watts have issues with Emma Watson or Jane Austen. Maybe there's a clue in her 2017 novel, Jane Austen Lied to Me. And then there's this from her Amazon page. Jeanette Watts normally writes historic fiction set in Pittsburgh. But when she had the idea to write Jane Austen Lied to Me on the drive home from the Jane Austen Festival, she found the idea too irresistible to ignore. When she isn't writing, she teaches vintage ballroom dancing and belly dancing. Good on you, by the way. Uh, sews quilts, costumes, and dolls, plays on the court of the Renaissance Festival, and wishes she had more time to read. Don't we all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Her latest refreshingly innocent, and dare I say, soundtrack to a cotillion, uh, novel is My Dearest Miss Fairfax, What Jane Austen's Emma didn't know Jeanette's website is JeanetteWatts.com. Welcome, and it's so wonderful to have you, well, virtually uh, here in my living room. Yeah, which is a lovely living room, by the way. I, I love your ambiance. <laughs> Every space in this place is filled with art, almost all original. By the way, I mm -hmm. think Jane Austen might have lied to generations of women. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to weigh in on that? Oh, absolutely. So, well, Jane Austen is very nuanced. Mm -hmm. You can just read the top surface that says that, you know, women are supposed to, you know, marry rich and, and become wives and mothers. And that's all there is to it. And that's You could look at that and see just that top layer, that it's nothing but heterosexual romance. Otherwise but known as the state of Texas. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then to all the all my relatives in Texas, I'm very sorry for that. Oh, no, I, I'm not sorry. No, I actually looked at a job in Texas years and years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, in, uh, was it San Angelo, Texas, with tiny little, tiny, tiny, I saw my first tumbleweed as my little plane broke through the clouds. <laughs> and, and all my Texan friends are like, that is not what Texas is. There's more to Texas than tumbleweeds. It's like, well, that's the part of Texas I they was have, in. They have, they have regular weeds as well. 
uh, yeah, you know, and here I am up, you know, like on the base at the bottom of the panhandle. And it's like, that's where the tumbleweeds were. So, <laughs> but uh, I am not sorry. I didn't go for that. Texas is a, a very large place and I adore like Ann Miller is one of my favorite actresses mm-hmm. and dancers. And mm-hmm. she is a, she is a Texan and yeah. you know, that whole larger than life Texas thing, you know, that just, embodies Ann Miller. This past weekend, I was just at the Let's Just Write conference for the Chicago Writers Association. Oh, excellent. And Elizabeth Wetmore, who wrote uh, who wrote a brilliant, brilliant novel, Valentine, a best-selling novel, uh, Valentine, mm-hmm. gave the uh, gave the keynote address. And, and mm-hmm. she, she lives not too far from me, and, and Elizabeth is a dear, dear friend. And um, But we're here to talk about your book. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about Jane Austen, and then we went down this rabbit hole. So you get this, you get this top layer of just, you know, rom- heterosexual romance. Uh-huh. And then under that, you get the social commentary. Oh, a, a young man of large force and must be in want of a wife. And if you don't hear the sarcasm in that, you know, fine. You just read that top level. And mm-hmm. the next level is the sarcastic level underneath full of social commentary. And all of her books have this social commentary. They ask these questions, yeah. but they do it with in a ladylike way. Mm-hmm. She is not uh, the kind she, Mark Twain is the next time we get a really, truly snarky writer and you know and Jane Austen is not Mark Twain Jane Austen is a lady in fact Mm -hmm. she doesn't publish the books at first under her name it is by a lady her brother outed her by the way later on uh, before Emma came out Um, but the bottom layer is the subversive Jane Austen Mm -hmm. she really did like ask these questions you know she really is why is it that a, a, an independent woman like Emma has to ma- get married? It, 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 she just had these, she questioned things that mm-hmm. the times did not question. We live in this you know, closed society. This is how it is. Do not try to change anything. This is just, you know, the, the, these, them's the rules, just live by them. And yeah. she questions that I'd, I'd say and, and this speaks to to your book as well i'd say that that the creation of jane fairfax uh-huh. is is one of those subversive narratives in, it is in jane austen yeah it really is and you know there's a lot of little things in there like and it's as i've had to pull apart the book to write the jane fairfax book there are so many little things that you look at they go oh look at that so here is Jane Fairfax in this secret engagement. And this mm-hmm. is a crime. This is a sin. This is wicked. This is awful. Yeah. And meanwhile, what happens at the very end of Emma? She gets engaged to Mr. Knightley and they keep it a secret for a while. So now yeah. Emma is in a secret engagement. And so you've let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's there's these things that it's like, you know, let's let's ask these questions uh you know it's like okay well mm-hmm. there's this not this behavior you are not supposed to do mm-hmm. that everybody's doing I, I feel a need to sort of preface this for for listeners i don't review books i read them and in, if an author can spell and has a grasp of grammar and can weave a yarn I understand the endless bleary-eyed determinism that it takes to write a book and to tell an original story, right? 
The same goes for for theater. I'm I'm also a theater guy. I think books are meant to be read, just like theater is meant to be seen, shared, discussed, and argued about. These are communal conversations, much like what we were just talking about with with the the sort of subversive nature to Emma and, and Jane Austen. That's part of the experience. And I'd love your your perspective on that as as an author and as a dancer. <laughs> well, we're because you brought up the magic word theater, we have to actually back up two books. Okay. At the very beginning, when you introduced me, you brought up Jane Austen Lied to Me. Mm-hmm. Well, my first that book, I mean, of all the write and rewrite and tell it and retell it, and you know, it, that is the book I've written that has gone through the most changes. When I first wrote it, it was really a, a little more, it was a novella. It wasn't a short story. It wasn't mm-hmm. a novel. It was somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And it was a satire. I mean, it really had a straight up sharp edged satire. You don't like the main character. You never will. And at the end, when she comes to the, the original conclusion, you're, you're still not going to like her. <laughs> I, I did not. I was writing a satire. Satires are meant to be funny. They're not meant to have sympathetic characters necessarily. Mm-hmm. My uh, husband and I would always go to, to see all the Broadway productions that would come through. I was in Dayton, Ohio at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, it was our thing with my in-laws as we always went to the, all the theater productions coming through town. And here I am sitting in the audience. I think it might have been Bridges of Madison County in the audience watching the show and halfway through the, the end of the first act, you know, those those thunderbolt moments you know mm-hmm. the lightning flashed and the light bulb went off and the thunder went and the, my chair shook and all it was like jane austen lied to me needs to be a broadway musical <laughs> yes it does and it changed everything you cannot have a musical with characters that you don't like <laughs> and you cannot have a not happy ending yeah. The original ending was not what it is at although, all. Although you could have an opera. True, true, true. But since I didn't, true. In that <laughs> case, then the you know the ha- the not happy ending would have been more sensible. Uh-huh. But yeah, it once I realized it needed to be a Broadway musical, I had to make my my heroine likable. I had to give her a little more. It was mostly she was just. It wasn't that she wasn't kind. There's a kindness to to Lizzie in in that one. But she had to be a little less stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she really, I mean, not that this is at all biographical. I wasn't at all that stupid college kid. I mean, the things to this day, I'm like, Mm -hmm. what? I mean, I was just the other day driving the car and thinking about a play I was in uh, my freshman year of high school. I had this little bit part as the secretary answers the phone. And I just dread my lines. It was a boring character, did it. And I'm driving the car going, why, why didn't I make something up? There was so much I could have done. You know, I could have like had a blonde wig and been chewing gum going, boo, New York. Can I take a message for you? <laughs> Drives around city with off duty sign lit up. You know, I could have done so much with this, just taking the notes and, mm-hmm. and I bail. I mean, I was a freshman in high You're school. Freshman what, in high thir- school. I'm what, 13 years old? Uh-huh. But but to this, it's like I could have really done a lot with that character and I failed. You know, so here, so that dumb kid is what's in Jane Austen Lie to Me, but it's like I need to make her less dumb and a little more insightful, a little more, yeah, you know, a little more guts, a little more glory, all that. 
so by the end, it's like, and I have yet, I have several times over this, I've been looking for a, the, my musician, I've been looking for my composer and I now have like an, my fourth attempt, maybe four is a charm. My fourth attempt is another, a friend of mine who's like, wait a minute, what? You, you know, my brother and I are musicians, you know, we write music, right? We don't do it. It's like, okay. But I realized that, yes, once I had my Broadway show, all the characters turned into what they really needed to be from the beginning, that creative process. And so sometimes you now, have to- Now, did, uh, and, and I might've missed this in, in my research on you. Did, did Jane Austen lie to me? Did that make it to the stage or is it Not still- yet. Okay, Not so yet. you're still working on it. So right. I, I, I wrote a first draft of a script and I, and I had the songs mapped out and a friend of mine is a composer. He was going to do the composition, but he is not a lyricist. Now, my husband's a great lyricist. He mm -hmm. writes silks all the time. I mean, he takes a shower, he comes out and he sings me some ditty that has to do with, <laughs> with me, uh, some silly thing about me or about um, what we're having for breakfast or this person at work who annoyed him or... So, so the stage will be, will be patterned after your shower. Of course. <laughs> but uh, those two never quite, it was like the musician needed the lyrics first, but Mike uh -huh. needs the song first. So the two of them com just completely missed each other in passing. So, okay. all right. And another, a friend of mine, um, a very close friend of mine ha happens to have a very talented family all on Broadway. Her mm -hmm. two of her brothers are on Broadway. Her niece and her nephew are on Broadway. And her niece actually is also a songwriter. And I approached her to say, would you be interested in this project? She was in the middle of writing her own seat, releasing her own CD. And then the next project came up, then the next. And she is in the cast for Come From Away on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of kept her busy. So, okay, let's move on next year. So, so, you know, I keep trying, but sooner or later, I'm going to find that magic combination of right songwriter who actually has the time and the place and, and mm -hmm. to actually do this, it will happen. It's just like, uh, everyone always says it takes 10 years for something to make it to, uh, to Broadway. Especially, so. especially a, a musical, which is, which has got to be so much harder. I, I've, I've had, I've had three plays that, that got some national attention, but none of them had music. I, I couldn't even, uh, even imagine having music as a, as a part of those and, and the, the amount of, the amount of time and frustration and heartache and headache that that would entail. So, your husband is is writing the lyrics. You're looking for somebody to to write the music. Do you have because you you're so much closer to the story than any of them? Right. Do you have in your mind an idea of of melody and and lyric or well, you're you're farming that out? <laughs> That's for the most part. I am not a musician. I can carry a tune in a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I can be, a, I'm a competent percussionist. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big dancer as a belly dancer. I can, I've got doombecks and I've got finger cymbals and uh, you know, so I am mm -hmm. a, I'm a competent percussionist beyond mm -hmm. that. The only concept that I have, which I've passed on to my musician friends who are currently going to run with it mm -hmm. is that because Jane Austen lied to me, it is a college girl. Her life keeps almost turning into a Jane Austen novel and then it all falls apart. It's a romantic comedy, you know? So every single one of Jane Austen's heroes ends up in her life in a way. And then it real life doesn't work that way. It's really mm -hmm. kind of the overwhelming comedy is that life, real life doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So, but every single one of these heroes 
needs to have his own musical genre. So if the heroine is singing the, your, your usual Broadway show tune, yeah. the, one of the guys needs to have a rap song and the next guy needs to be like 50s doo-wop. And then the <laughs> next guy is going to be country Western. And the next one is going to be techno punk or something like that. So every single- I, I want that soundtrack. Yes, every man <laughs> needs his own sound. Yeah. You know, just in, in the process of, and in a way you could say it's symbolic that she's not listening to their sounds and that's mm -hmm. part of why they're missing each other and so forth. <clears throat> but the ones that are more, you know, the simpatico ones should have the matching sounds. You know? Yeah, yeah. Interesting, so, this is what, when, when that gets produced, please come back and, and tell us about it. But we're here absolutely. to talk about my- We're supposed to be talking. Yes, my dearest Miss Fairfax. Let's talk about the current book. <laughs> let's uh, uh, give us a brief synopsis of the book to start us off. All right. It start, I started with Jane Austen's Emma. And this is sort of a, while well, Emma is, ta is talking on this, that top level, that's the, the thing. There's mm -hmm. this entire mm -hmm. story, like the subway under the street, rumbling along that, again, just like the subway, everyone's like, oh, there's a grate, you know, <laughs> or something they're, like they're, that. They're kind of they're like... Or parallel, yeah, so they're just parallel. going on parallel stories. Uh, parallel, yeah. parallel, I'm sorry, parallel. Yeah, so this parallel story underneath that you get glimpses yeah. of, and that's it. Yeah. Well, I took all of those glimpses and just, I highlighted this old, I got a used copy because if I'm going to mark up a book, I shouldn't do a brand new copy. <laughs> so I got this used copy of Emma, marked it up, everything in highlighter of everything that gives me a clue to what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I puzzle piece together the secret engagement between Jer Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill. Mm -hmm. So these two characters, you know, they, we, what we know from Emma is they had a secret engagement. Well, how did they get engaged? We know they met at Weymouth. How did that's the part, those are the scary mm -hmm. parts. I had to manufacture that without any clues. And that was scary. Mm -hmm. And then once we get to Highbury, it's just, this is what Emma saw. What was going on through Jane's mind at the time? What was going on with the aunt, with with Frank Churchill, mm -hmm. with the with the so forth? I mean, you get little bits where Jane says something, and what's inside her head is, you know, what the hell? What the hell is wrong with you people? All of you people! Oh my god! You know, and and what you get is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, that would be lovely. Or um, oh, uh, we we yes, I believe we met. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you, you set up you set up her character and, and the story in mm -hmm. a very interesting way with this particular passage that I thought was was just astounding. Okay. Uh, you set the stage with this. Money did not automatically mean distinction. Neither did birth, rank, nor the country one resided in. Only education gave a person the means to walk into a room or give appropriate honors to one's betters and wordlessly indicate to the world that one has breeding and manners. That's a great, great passage. Would you believe, you know, you've absolutely floored me that what you just pulled out is the essence of my life as a historical dancer. Mm. I have been, um, as all through COVID, my COVID project, which is still in progress, uh -huh. is that I am writing a series of dance manuals because I'm a dance instructor. Yeah. I am writing a series of dance manuals and they're going to be by era. So that if you are a house museum, wow. uh, if you're at a plantation in North Carolina and the yeah. house was built in 1803, yeah. when you have all of the, uh, the little kids coming through the house tours as part of their school groups, you know, what dances do you teach them? Mm-hmm. 
if it happens to be 1903 and it is the Wright Brothers Mansion in Dayton, <laughs> Ohio, you don't teach the kids, the school kids, the same dances from 1803. That's not what they were doing in 1903. Yeah. yeah. So in the process of having these slices of dance history mm-hmm. sort of mar- mapped out so that a, a museum could present these things. Nobody knows how to dance. Everywhere I go, the house museum's like, hey, yeah, sure, you can. We'd love to have you teach dance for our our, our festival or whatever happens to be. I had this big gap in my education. Mm-hmm. I was not that good on the 1700s. I know that Playford uh, does uh, sort of invents, if you will, English country dance starting in 1650. Mm-hmm. And that goes on for a while. But what's going on in the 1700s? And I spent a lot of time reading dance manuals. I started taking Baroque classes with the New York Baroque Dance Company in New York City because Zoom, COVID, we're all at home bored. And it was (laughs) the opportunities that that ironically afforded were just amazing. Well, I have read, downloaded and read just heaps and heaps of uh, dance manuals Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From the 1700s. And of course, you know, this is now set in the early 1800s, but you know, obviously when you're born in the late 1700s, this is what you were educated with. Mm -hmm. So that passage is really the embodiment of what dance manuals were like in the 1700s. It was about presentation. When you were educated, and there is a fine, invisible line between etiquette and deportment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we often, I mean, to this day, why do you have your little girls taking ballet classes? It's for deportment. It's how mm-hmm. do you carry yourself? Well, Indeed. that was an etiquette thing. It's like I would all these things that says how to dance and you open up the book and it's a bunch of deportment things, mm-hmm. how to walk into a room, how to there's actually descriptions on how to hand someone a piece of paper. That was a big deal. You handing a piece of paper is something you should practice with your dance instructor in front of a mirror (laughs) with your parents. This was education. This is part of your education. So it's a very old fashioned way of looking things. There's a lot in Jane Austen. That's actually a paper I'm starting to work on. It's talking about manners. Jane Austen frequently brings up, oh, oh, that is a gentleman of the old school. That was, uh, he had the old manners. Oh, this is the new manners. And you'll see old and new manners is this little expression that what does that mean? Which given the the era, the, the sort of end of the, the Georgian era in England and right on the cusp of uh, of the Victorian era. Yep. I think Emma published in 1815, thereabouts, to talk about old school and new school manners in that context feels incredibly abstract to, to a modern day sensibility, but it, it, also, it, it also sets up a wistfulness and a melancholy of, of returning to those, those quote unquote better times. I, I will uh, at least from a manners point of view, I suppose. Okay. I, I think that, I mean, on the one hand, I think there is, one can read it as a, a wishing for the past. I, mm-hmm. I'm more of the opinion that uh, Jane Austen was looking to the future. That mm-hmm. on the one mm-hmm. hand, you know, the old manners, there is something about deportment and walking yeah. into the room and know you're in. I mean, that is like George Washington stuff. Yeah. You know, walking and- into the room and being a, clearly a gentleman. But I think that Jane Austen appreciated the new manners. I mean, the Victorian manners are 
thinking about the other guy, don't think about yourself. Mm-hmm. The thing about the 1700 manners is it's all about yourself. Yeah. yeah. You have to polish yourself. The only thing you have control of is yourself, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is sensible. And I think that there is a merit to that as long as you don't take it to extreme. And when you're, it's just self-centeredness and, you know, yeah. la-di-da, look at me, I'm walking into a room. <laughs> that is, you can see why the Victorians might have objected to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so those rules, the, the ballroom rules that a lady does not cross the ballroom by herself, those are coming out of the early 1800s. Yeah. Why would that be? It's yeah. because women prancing around parading themselves because that's what that's the education of the 1700s. We're, going, we're coming to a point of, no, this is not enough. There needs to be more. We need mm-hmm. to be more cognizant of our fellow man. Mm-hmm. And that is what the new manners is. And so there, there is a lot to be said for both. Mm-hmm. And, and Jane Austen is, and we spoke about this a little bit earlier, she's making a critique of uh-huh. social stratification. Yes. And she, I mean, she critiques everything she gets her hands on if, yeah. in, in her way. And I, and I think she is. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you know, sometimes it's the young people say, oh, he's at the old school. Mm-hmm. And that's not always a good thing. And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, the new things, you know, but the strongest my strongest argument for that Jane Austen is a proponent for she's championing the new manners Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is in Pride and Prejudice. When Miss Bingley, who's obviously the villain, is like, oh, well, a woman must have something in her air. There must be you know, more to it. You know, she has something in her way of walking, blah, blah, blah. That whole speech is describing the 1700s. Yeah, deportment yeah. manners. That is exactly. And what does Darcy say to this all? She must add something more substantial mm-hmm. by the improvement of her mind with extensive reading. That is the new manners, the hero. And this is part of the future. You know, this is our glimpse that Darcy and, and Lizzie are meant for each other is that they're both of the new manners where mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. pay attention to your fellow man and, you have to not be self-absorbed. And when mm-hmm. Darcy says, you know, she must be more than just paying attention to look at me, I'm walking into the room. She has to be thinking about your fellow man. So you very obviously done your research on Jane Austen and the period that comes out really strongly in my dearest Miss Fairfax, in which you stay very, very close to, to Austen's characterization and description of Jane Fairfax. Although I, I had some problems with, with Frank Churchill. I think he, <laughs> I, 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 I totally, I, you know, I, I didn't like this guy from the get go. I didn't trust uh-huh. him. I thought he was, I thought he was playing both Jane and Emma or playing Jane through Emma, but that's a whole, that's a whole other, that's a whole other aside. And maybe no one ever likes Frank Churchill. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Jane did. Uh-huh. <laughs> It was it's, okay. Young hormones. Just say the, what happened. She looked yeah, up. They looked yeah. into each other's eyes, and she was hot for him. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and she was. she was. You know, she's constant and faithful, and everybody says, "Well, you know, Frank doesn't deserve her." Well, maybe not, but at least he is what she wanted. But you stayed true to to Austin's spirit of Jane Fairfax. Well, I, I tried very hard. Actually, this is a thing for me. This is my third historical fiction. My first uh-huh. two were, were set in Pittsburgh in 1875 and 1889, completely mm-hmm. my own stuff, mm-hmm. my own universe, except of course for the historical stuff. To me, I, I need to have a roadmap when I write. 
when it was the Pittsburgh books, it had to be, I wanted to be able to tell you what it tasted like, what it smelled like, what it felt like. Indeed. And if I can't tell you that I'm not done mm-hmm, with, the, with mm-hmm. the homework, I am not done yet. The same with Jane, with Jane Austen. She is my roadmap. I know there's a lot of Jane fad fiction out there that does alternative things and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm, that's not to my taste for me. I want people to read this and feel like Jane Austen herself would have mm-hmm. said, yes, this is true. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, that is, you know, I can't deviate from anything. Whenever there was a line in there, I have to play it where it lays and be like, it was actually difficult at the end, very end of Miss De- my dearest Miss Fairfax. Mm-hmm. There is a long speech that a, a long encounter between Mrs. Weston and Jane mm-hmm. Fairfax. Mm-hmm. And Jane Fairfax is the, I haven't had a happy moment this whole time. It's been so stressful and you know all that kind of stuff, which is all true. On the other hand, my Jane Fairfax is a little less weak-spirited, mm-hmm. weak something. I'm not quite, I, I'm not coming up with, the, with a, a proper word for it. I thought she seemed, she seemed reluctant. I, I, I kept wanting her to do this. Uh-huh. You got to make a stand. Yep. <laughs> you you got to say something, Jane. You're getting played. Uh-huh. And, and he he's 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 calling for you, but he keeps looking at that pile of cash that that Auntie's holding over his head. And it's like you got to do something to get off the pot. She does, and I, we don't want to give away give away the ending, right. but that was I, I thought that was very satisfying. You also don't do this in the book. You don't you don't bow to modern conventions. Oh God, with, no. with with this this sort of over the top drama, or even even sexuality. This is a straightforward, and I thought now that this is what I thought at the beginning. I thought it was an anti romance, but <laughs> but it's but it's a it's very it's a very beautifully told, well done, connected to the original romance. Yeah, that was that was I have read like people who've taken it and put in sex scenes and all that. Yeah. And I'm going, this is overstating it a little bit, mm-hmm. but I felt violated. I don't think that's overstating at all. I think you know, that's, it's that's like a very good. Jane Austen's characters, you know, they have their privacy. Mm-hmm. You respect their privacy. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I, I have, uh, we're in my library here, uh, sort of behind my monitor here is the romance novels. And, uh-huh. and all, but I just, so I'm, I'm happy to read sex scenes and all that. Mm-hmm. But a sex scene between Lizzie and Darcy is like, this is so not Jane. You yeah. know, you, yeah. this is, you yeah. know, this was written by a lady about ladies and gentlemen and mm-hmm. characters are allowed to have their privacy, just like people are allowed to have their privacy. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. writing people and those mm-hmm. people get their privacy. So for me, yeah, I, I know. And we're talking about young you know, people. And I remember when I was, when I was a young person, many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> you uh, and me both. <laughs> But I, I remember being smitten with someone and it was enough to just walk by their house or sit on the porch with them or or be <laughs> be close to them. And it wasn't all about, you know, a grab bag or, you know, or or that it was it was the next logical leap to the sack. It was about it was about that smittenness and that. Oh, my God. Yes. You know, there is a a torment and a joy to those, mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. you you've just brought out this, this entire, my head just exploded <laughs> with images of being in, in high school and like 
walking down the hall after class, there was, there was this guy in my, I think we had physics together. He was a year ahead of me. I was, I was a junior, but taking the senior physics class Mm -hmm. and uh, Scott Dibble. uh, It was also in, we both had German classes. I, again, was a year behind him, but we would walk down the hall talking in German. Uh He was just gorgeous and he was kind and he was sweet. And I would just worship him. And he was this, you know, he was older than me. He was a senior. <laughs> and so just the thrill of talking to him. And, oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, I had the hot stuff for him. Did anything happen? Well, no, because number one, he was a senior and I was a junior. But I have um, uh, recently co- sort of connected with him. I found out like mm-hmm. five years ago. He's a state senator in Minnesota in, uh, wow. in Washington, where I where we went. To, he didn't move far from where we went to high school together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he and he is gay. And so, yeah, nothing was going to come of it, but that doesn't make him any less gorgeous or any less kind or any less wonderful or any less, you know, a fabulous, that, that wonderful human being. fluttering heartbeat, those you know, sweaty palms. I will happily. Lump I will, in the throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The butterflies and, in the belly. And, yeah. It was, it was part of growing up, yeah, you know, or yeah. hell there was, I mean, a lot of years later, I'm in my thirties. And another Minnesota story, actually, there is a there was a folk dancer in, from Minnesota that I had a debilitating crush on for a long time. <laughs> he was just tall and smart and handsome and mm-hmm. and an amazing dancer. And I, I used to like people it would say anything. It's like, well, I'm really in love with him from the knees down, because if you're watching any uh, international folk dancing, it's very footwork intensive. Mm-hmm. And you can look at any dance you've never seen before and just watch his feet. And you will get the dance because his feet were always clean and perfect and precise. And I could just watch him for, and there's usually a lot of repetitions, watch him two repetitions. I kind of got it three repetitions. Okay. I can do it. I mean, a really difficult one. Maybe I'll take a couple of repetitions, but a Bulgarian dance is a Bulgarian dance. And the vocabulary is when you have all the vocabulary, Mm -hmm. it's not that hard to put the sentence together. Debilitating crush on him. But I also had a crush on his wife, too, because she was also way cool. And but sometimes there was something it's like, hey, let's just do this thing. It was like mildly flirty. Yeah. I flat out refused to do it. Dumb <laughs> little thing. But I would not do that because that was just way too close to this guy. I had this crush on mm. not happening. No way. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's not always just when we're young that, you know, a crush is a. Indeed. Is, Indeed, it is, it is a, a as it said, it's a it is like torment and joy all at the same time. <laughs> it's it, it's it, it's the spice uh, in, in our blood, blood vessels and, and heart and soul. It is. It is. Yeah. And in a way, like when when that changes, like I ended up, you know, we're I'm friends with this with this fellow and, you know, the crush, you know, eventually like goes away. And actually part of it that made it not fun anymore was like, you know, he and his wife got a divorce. Oh. And uh, somebody was like, oh, my God, are you going to divorce your husband and go marry? It's like, no, I'm going to cry for a week uh-huh. because that was part of probably what I thought was so, you know, so cool about him. Was so cool that, about him is this, great. this rela- great relationship that turned out to be obviously not as great. And oh. it's like, so it's like, OK, I could just be friends and not be in- hormonally involved in the fridge. So my dearest Miss Fairfax, Fairfax, this is. This is a brighter narrative than Emma. Was that intentional? I, I want to say it, it's perhaps a little bit between. Uh, this is kind of kind of strange, but uh, uh-huh. a little bit between Jane Austen and Beatrix Potter. 
for for yeah. for for the innocence aspect wow. with this luscious airy prose uh, and an eternal innocence is uh, uh, which is what I was going for in that comparison. That is that is fascinating. Yeah, well, it was in a way an innocent time. You know, women yeah, were yeah. very sheltered and yeah. and you know secluded and all that, mm -hmm. and it was very. I mean, the problems are you know agonizing mm -hmm. for them and again it's that what is it like to be 19 years old and in love yeah. and yeah. this is not and and i was a very innocent 19 year old and you know i get it's that coming back to that the inner truth of jane mm -hmm. austen mm -hmm. you know that is we are not into the the modern sexual sensibilities mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. because it was so incredibly important to me to be true to jane austen that when people read this that yes, this is true. This is exactly what was going on in Emma. that could not have been an easy an easy perspective to hold and to and to remain true to throughout this book because we've all lived lives and those lives have made us less innocent as we as we get older. More scars, more weight, more <laughs> knowledge, more you know a, a greater need to. Uh, to imbue our our perspectives and our philosophies and our wisdoms on on the world, but you didn't do that here. You know, that's really interesting. I guess what it is is that I, I guess I'm that innocent. <laughs> I don't know. It was to me that again that internal mm -hmm. truth. I mean, Jane is an observer. You know, mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. watching the world, and she is, in ways, you could say, not kind. She will call a spade a spade inside her head. Yeah. But like yeah. a lady, she doesn't say it out loud, which is actually uh, the uh, the dedication in the book is uh, is to my friend Astrid, who is an introvert. And she's she's got this dimple in her cheek and you know, she's very quiet. But when that dimple comes out, you want to know what she's thinking. And uh, once I knew her well enough that we had this conversation, she says, well, you know, sometimes when I'm not saying anything, it's because I'm not thinking anything nice. And if you can't say something nice about a person, don't say anything at all. But yeah, to stay true to those characters and what I am, my overlay on top of that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is I still do. I, I mean, I adore people. I mean, yeah, I live in the real world, but I have all like my dancers. I start dance everywhere I move. I start a dance group. Then we move again. I start another dance group. I stay in one place. Give me 10 minutes. I get this idea. And the next thing you know, at one point I was running four dance groups at the same time, Wow! but every dance group is full of people who are doing this thing that is really about, uh, of course, and I'm, I'm doing dance forms that are not, that are more innocent. Like mm -hmm. vintage dance is about waltzing and waltzing is, you get to keep your clothes on and waltz. In fact, you want them because the woman's skirt going whoosh while you're waltzing is part of the joy of the dance. So I think that maybe channeling the innocence and joy and what gestalt is not quite the right word. The joie de vivre of my dancers is probably part of what, where I'm channeling that innocence from mm -hmm. is, is that the, you know, my, I, my dancers are, in their teens and twenties and thirties. I mean, I have so many dance groups and once you're one of my dancers, you're in my dance family and in my heart forever. <laughs> so music is, is such a big part of this story. Yes. Classical music is mm -hmm. a very substantial part of, of the novel. Um, yes. Some of your choices are really interesting. Jane's character is centered uh, around Frank's gift, Frank Churchill's gift yep. of, of a piano forte. Mm -hmm. which was which was a, a relatively new invention 
at the uh-huh. time it was sort of the 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 step between between the harpsichord and the and the, and the grand piano yes weber's and, and a lot of these songs are really danceable like like robin adair um, yes but weber's piano sonata uh number one is not a terribly danceable tune Mozart's Sonata 18, which you which you, you reference in the book, um, I think was meant to be danced.
those musical choices. That was actually one of the most terrifying parts of this. Yeah. I, as, as I mentioned, I'm a percussionist, but I'm not a musician. Yeah. I was trained on the violin. I, mm -hmm. well, let's, say, well, let's say I attempted the violin from fourth grade to 11th grade before I finally figured out if you have no talent, you are allowed to quit. It just took me that long <laughs> to figure it out. Um, but Jane Austen never actually brings up what music she was playing. Right. It's just, yeah. oh, I, I love music. And they're always, Georgiana yeah. in um, Pride and Prejudice, we never, I adore music. I play all the time. She's singing all the time. What you be, but you, be, you begin and, 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 uh, and, and this, is, this is your creation of how Frank Churchill and Jane meet in, in a music shop. Yeah, it, because it's, you know, Jane is, to, in my mind, and of course mm -hmm. I'm a little biased here, I think that she is the single most accomplished musician in all of Jane Austen's novels. There are, there, you know, Georgiana might be, I think it might be second place in Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. um, Anne in Persuasion plays a lot of dance music, but dance music isn't necessarily the most um, difficult you know, stuff. So I actually got very lucky at the last, okay, the JASNA AGM, Jane Austen Society of North America's annual general meeting. Wow. Once a year, there is a collect a convention of uh, several thousand crazy Janeites, at least 50% of which are in cost Regency costumes. I almost wore, <laughs> my, I almost grabbed my Regency bonnet and Spencer to wear just for this interview. Oh so my that, gosh. Since we could see each other, even though uh -huh. you listeners can't. But this year's, uh, it was in Chicago. Now I've gone to Kansas City and, and I'll, you know, I, I know how to use a car and I know how to get on a plane. Mm -hmm. uh, but it happened to be in Chicago. And one of my best friends is a bigger Janeite than me. And she likes to do these and, and met me in Chicago. One of the speakers this year, happens to be the music librarian for Houghton Library in, uh, I think it's Harvard. So she's a music librarian who gave a lecture on music in Jane Austen's time. Wow. So I like knowing this was coming and that this was going to save me six months of research. I just like was sitting in the front row, cackling gleefully, taking notes copiously the whole time. And then afterwards scurrying up to her and saying, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Do you mind answering some questions? And we and and talking. So a lot of the choices, especially when we bring up like Playel, is uh -huh. one of the ones that. And she gave me the sources, and this is where people were getting their music from. If you were, you know, a, a young accomplished lady, of course you played the piano. What yeah. were you playing? Here's the the sources that they were going to. Mm -hmm. This was their what was most popular. This was what was second most popular. This is the most challenging. This is less challenging. That was my starting point for some of these terrifying choices that I was going to have to make. <laughs> Sometimes I really did just say, get on Reddit or get on and, yeah. um, uh, Google. What of Mozart's compositions is considered the most difficult? So there's one point in time she sits down and breaks into yeah. the Mozart. That is specifically the most difficult composition that Mozart ever wrote for piano forte. Oh, interesting. And that was one of those things where I just cheated and used Google because I didn't know. And I, 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 I can ask questions, but the, the lady from the library, the li mm -hmm. music librarian ended up um, having surgery. So she had to go AWOL for a couple of months. And so it was like, as I was making decisions, it was like, well, I can't use that source. Let me try this other source. And well, that source couldn't get back to me. And there's, so I, I, I would like to, I don't make any decision without a cabinet. I cannot... <laughs> 
painting rooms we moved actually the room we're in right now the uh-huh. with, this, with the lovely this room had dark navy blue walls when we moved in here and so like the ceilings are like yeah the, the ceiling is going to hit me in the head <laughs> but i have this friend in georgia mm-hmm. with this uncanny color sense so i had actually just been laying out a bunch of paint chips with with a wallpaper border in my previous house and i'd sent a what do you call it a snapchat so it's you know it's there and it's gone i just said oh my god all these colors and i have to pick a border and this gal writes back to me and says third one from the bottom the the (laughs) the, the most the red what i shuffled some around put out some more chips and said now what and she goes top right hand side 16th from the edge what same one so i never paint a room without getting her advice and usually two other people chip in, but she's the one I just go with, but I'll let other people chip in. I never do anything about my cabinet. So when I'm having to make a musical choice, same thing. Yeah. I'm not going to do this without a whole lot of input. So yeah. I actually had um, the, the person who uh, is um, the, the Astrid, the one the book is dedicated to, mm-hmm. her husband, she and her husband are musicians. And I sent them all of the passages that it's like, instead of read the whole book, just can you just read all mm-hmm. the passages mm-hmm. that mention music? That's only 50% of the book. Tell me everything I did wrong. When I said something, when I'm, I'm not, I can't think like a musician. Mm-hmm. I'm a barely passable percussionist. So anytime I got it wrong, you need to tell me because I am not going to embarrass myself and every musician mm-hmm. with bad bits in there all these these selections are are piano centered selections yes and for obvious reasons for obvious reasons i can totally see jane playing any one or all of these tunes and and i think there's a there's a really interesting dynamic here in uh, especially in robin 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 adair Adair. and that one is mentioned in emma i had no choice in the matter that is spelled out in emma threads the line between classical and folk. Yes, yes, very much so. In fact, um, it, it's this folk tune, this popular folk tune, mm-hmm. uh, in like 1814, so right as at the time Emma's being written, mm-hmm. there was a new, among all of the you know music available for you, accomplished young ladies that you're yeah, buying yeah. some new music for your piano forte, was a new uh, composition of variations on the theme of Robin Adair. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was just that came out like that year, the year before, and, and that. So this would have been on the piano fortes 
of uh, all kinds of educated young ladies with pianofortes all over England. You're you're absolutely <laughs> wonderful. I have I hope your husband is is a triathlete or a marathon runner. Otherwise, it, it would be impossible to keep up with your energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I wear out. This is why I tend to like my my peoples uh -huh. I tend to hang out with like I used to find all the folk dancers that were like 20 years older than me. Yeah, all of my yeah. friends were like 20 years older than me, but they were the folk dancers who were like they could do these jump squats when they're 62 years old and they're That's amazing. Brilliant. My generation, I, I don't know what's wrong with my generation, but you know, they can't keep <laughs> up with me. And then I've got my my dancers who are between uh -huh. 20 and 30 years younger than me, and they're the ones who keep up with me. So my husband gets a break. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it, the, the, the energy is redirected. Yeah, it a takes a bit. village to raise a child. Uh -huh. It takes seven dance communities to hey, to keep up with me. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is it about historical fiction? Is it is it the the fantasy, the costumes, stepping into a scene out of your own time? the language, the romance. One of the things that I found really, really interesting was, was the, the back and forth letters that helped to, to move the narrative along, especially between Jane and Churchill. Yeah. Oh, this is what you, do you know that you asked very, the most lyrical questions I've ever been asked in interviews? Well, thank you. Wow. Yeah. You just have a the lyricism that most people don't put in, into an interview question. All right. Um, historical fiction. I, I, I have adored it since I first discovered Gone with the Wind on the bookshelves in my one of my mom's friend's house when I was in mm -hmm. like seventh grade. You marry that to the fact that when I was in fourth grade, yeah. I discovered the biography section of my library. And to this day, I adore history. I, mean, I you know, just, so just some of my favorite when people ask, you know, about my favorite writers besides Margaret Mitchell and Edith Wharton, they're they're mostly biographers like Ron Chernow and David. Mc I got to shake David McCullough's hand once, man. That was just you know, the like highlight of my life. Uh -huh. uh, so but I adore biographies. I love digging into the real person and the honesty that comes with history so like I will sit down with uh, Shelby Foote's 3000 pages yeah. of, the, of the Civil War yeah. and I, I find it riveting and wonderful and juicy and it's messy and it's dirty and it yeah. smells bad and it smells amazing and all those things. Of course, of, of course Shelby Foote could write an Ikea catalog and make it sound enthralling and interesting. Agreed. It's kind of like he and Ken Burns were a perfect mate for each other. Yeah, yeah. The fact that these two people with this, again, back to that lyricism for telling a story mm -hmm. that is like heart wrenching or is empowering or is transporting, yeah. uh, you know, so, forth, so it, it all fits. But why don't I write history books instead? There is that element of storytelling. I mean, when I was a kid in fourth grade, sixth grade and all that, we used to walk to school with my best friend and I would tell her stories while we were walking to school. And every day I'd have an installation, the newest thing that's happening to my character. And I'd tell her the next part. And she's the one who then I like, she's like, you have to tell that story to this other little girl. And I'm telling her, she's like, no, no, you forgot about this part. <laughs> you forgot about that part. And she finally, she says, 
I mean, this is like we're, we're talking like a fifth grader, right? So that was, but that was the scene. Says, yeah, and she's like, "Are you writing this down?" So the power of the storytelling. Frequently, people will avoid history. History yeah. class—that's the boring one. That's where the soccer coach is. Is they're all yeah. in the social studies department. Mm-hmm. And so this <clears throat> lack of marketing, I like. I prefer to tell a more compelling story through a his through a fictional character. While that character is immersed in all the truth of the hard facts of history. I mean, it is so important to me. I mean, I actually went through, I contacted the Historical Society of Weymouth because Mm -hmm. Frank Churchill and Jane meet in Weymouth. Mm -hmm. And Jane Austen really never, never goes there, never talks about it in anything else. It's just this passing reference. Well, where's Weymouth? I need to know more. It's one of those watering places. That's not enough for me. Well, contacting the, the Historical Society of Weymouth, I, we had several conversations and they they pointed me at the resources that mm-hmm. like I bought the book, brought it home, memorized it. Now I'd call them up when I had more questions. They're the ones who found the directory from 18, the street directory from 1860. Wow, because some of the street names have changed. Yeah. And so I have got the the directory from 1816 when -hmm. it was still Malcolm Regis and Weymouth were two separate twin cities that hadn't become one corporation yet. And so when I go through and I'm talking about the shopping and the girls are going, I mean, again, 19 year old girls, Mm -hmm. we don't have malls yet. What are you doing? (laughs) You are going up and down the street. You go to every single person who makes and sells bonnets. Yeah. You go to all of them before you decided that that one, nope, that, nope, no, that one makes the best bonnets. And Mm -hmm. we have to go Mm -hmm. back there because that's the one we're going, even though we were about to buy that other bonnet, we have to buy this bonnet. All of that is straight from the historical manual. So, so, you know, the obvious question then is Mm -hmm. the music shop a real place? That one I did. I, I'm pretty sure I found the uh, the reference. It was a little hard. That was a harder one to find. But I did. You know, I dig all these things out. Mm-hmm. Now, my apologies to the owner of the music store. He probably wasn't nearly as mean as the one. <laughs> oh, but but that was that is you talk about the or his ancestors, I suppose. Yeah, his ancestors. Yes, his yeah. ancestors. He's dead now. He probably doesn't care anymore. That is one of those. You know, you talk about the tapping into yourself because you write about yeah. what you know. Yeah. yeah, that was actually a real occurrence. It was a restaurant, not a bookshop. Mm-hmm. And it was a folk dance friend of mine who I was in town. I, I used to live in Madison, Wisconsin. I was back in Wisconsin for mm-hmm. a weekend workshop. And uh, one of my friends is like, come on, let's go, let's go get a pizza or something. You know, it's midnight or whatever. It's, it was late. Uh, but State Street in Madison is going to be up until bar time. So mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's late, but it's still perfectly. Well, we go into this restaurant that was a little quieter, unlike the bar scene where it's kind of like, what? I said, <laughs> how's your dog? What? You know, so we, we find mm-hmm. this, this quiet place. But as we were checking out, there was this nasty, this woman who was so nasty to her employee that was just paying we're you know doing the the cashiering yeah i don't remember if she hit her but she did call her a noom poop or stuff like that wow and then it's like we finished and we left and we were both kind of like hi i i don't know i want to intervene i don't know how to intervene without making this poor girl's life worse uh, so we ended about <laughs> out on the street giggling uncomfortably going oh my god i don't know what that was really uncomfortable and i don't know what to do and it was like Oh my God, we should have done more. What, what, let's go back in and do something. 
no, if we try that now, we're just going to make it even worse than if we would have said something when we were there, which we were afraid to do because we were afraid it was going to make her life worse. But that was that was my inspiration for oh, that. I, scene. I love that. I absolutely love knowing that. What what are the traps uh, or perils of exploring and perhaps even changing a little bit or or altering them to fit a new narrative, established characters from from classic authors? You are the biggest peril, of course, is that these these uh, these are well known and well loved characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, everybody hates Frank Churchill. I have I have a lot of people who said, "Oh, I really don't like Emma. I, I don't want to read your books. Guy. I don't like Emma." And, yes, I have people who say, "I can't stand Frank Churchill." Oh, how could you write about Jane? And, <laughs> oh, yeah. Why doesn't Jane just send him to the curb? <laughs> and so forth. You know, and they they just they don't like the characters or what it was so forth, and. You know, so they have an opinion mm-hmm. the moment they read the, page one of my book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you to me, you have to be true to that. Mm-hmm. It's why reading some of the other Jane. Yeah, yeah. There was one writer who I uh, she does lovely work. I but I found while her story was fun and it was sexy, but there were a lot of sex scenes in it, which I wouldn't have minded if their names weren't you know Darcy. And yeah, yeah. it was if she would have just written under her own characters, it was a fabulous story. Mm-hmm. Same exact thing, changed the names to the Jane Austen characters. It was stressful. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so you feel you feel a a qualitative responsibility to to the original. Absolutely, no. I am that thing about the I, I want a roadmap, and yeah, I will obey yeah. that roadmap no matter yeah. what. And if yeah. I have to stay up all night for two weeks because I can't sleep because I can't figure out how do I justify this conversation mm-hmm. at the end of mm-hmm. Emma when mm-hmm. Jane's talking to Mrs. Weston and it doesn't to me, in my mind completely match everything out about Jane's character that I've put together from everything else that's ever mm-hmm. been said about Jane. I had to make peace with myself and make it make sense to readers and and to me. And uh, you you just can't, I mean I can't take liberties with other people's characters. Yeah. I mean, it was to me just having to write, write the engagement scene when there's nothing to go on mm-hmm. that, that I was terrified. It, it actually just, my fingers knew where I was going and it just, blah, blah, blah. it's like, oh, wow, that's actually, I, I kind of like that. Uh, but uh, just figuring out that mm-hmm. Mrs. Dixon doesn't have a first name. If Jane Fairfax and Miss Campbell were raised together and then Miss mm-hmm. Campbell gets married and becomes Mrs. Dixon, yeah. these girls have been on a first name basis since they were six years old. Yeah, They've been living together since they were eight. They are not going to call each other Miss Fairfax and Miss Campbell. Yeah. 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 I need to know, I need to make up a first name. And that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, sleepless nights. And what I finally, looking through all of Jane Austen's books, there's all these solid British names in there, you know, it's all George <laughs> and, and gee, for funny reasons, it tends to be named after a whole lot of people in Jane Austen's family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could have named her Cassandra because that is, Cassandra does not show up in any of Jane Austen's books. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was too kitschy that was too obvious too over the top and even though i you know of course you want to curry favor with the jane austen with the jane knights and all the jane austen fans would have gone cassandra i i needed that i wanted i guess i wanted them to take it more seriously than that Mm -hmm. her name is her name not something to giggle over because that's what belongs to absolutely absolutely 
I had to go. So, so many of the names. I, why so many Janes and Elizabeths? Because of the Queens. You've got mm-hmm. Queen Marys and Elizabeths and Janes. Those are the three biggest names. Well, where, what other names are there in royalty? So I went and looked at George III's children. And so Sophia Dixon is named for one of George's daughters named Sophia. Mm-hmm. So Princess Charlotte shows up in the book. So I couldn't use, I didn't want to use that one because then we'd have two Charlottes and that I'm trying to, you know, multiple characters of the same names is confusing. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. going to do that. So, but that was, that was how I, I came up with Sophia's name was That's to brilliant. look at That's... the royal names. Yeah. That's, a, that's absolutely brilliant. I'm, yeah, I'm pitching. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm pitching a, a prequel. We, uh, uh, a partner and I did uh-huh. uh, did a a Zoom play uh, for our radio show um, oh. back uh, a, a year ago during the pandemic. Twenty actors all over the country. Uh, awesome. We we did the original, which had not been heard or seen since it closed at the Randolph uh, Street Theater in 1915 in Chicago, the original Virginian. Wow. And so so we, we played that forward and we're, we're now pitching a prequel uh, television series to, uh, to the Virginian, but I struggled long and hard as to whether or not I could or should um, give the Virginian a name and violate that? Or do I find a way that, that he, he just becomes the Virginian and, and that's it. So there, there is, there is no other identity for him as far uh-huh. as the prequels concerned. But that, so that, but that's, that's very, very important. And, and I think, it's I think terrifying. Yes, <laughs> but you went about it in a, in a really clever uh, and and uh, <laughs> educated way. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. It's it is so terrifying. So, but coming yeah. up with, I needed a justification that I was willing to live with. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if I can't live with that, how can my readers live with it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a sequel. Well, I, that is always the thing. What's next, right? Yes. So. I, because I stopped and somebody actually said, you know, ding me on it. I started with a wedding just because Emma mm-hmm. starts with a wedding. Mm-hmm. I did not end with a wedding because, uh, you know, as again, keeping with Emma, you know, Emma never talks about Jane Fairfax and, and, um, and Frank getting married. Right. I could not bring myself to make more scenes yeah. that yeah. didn't exist. So, yeah. you know, I'm out of roadmap. We're at the end of the world. Yeah. So, my uh, my next projects, I will. I do have the the, the two other books that are, are already in Jane's uh, you know, universe. Um, I need. To, I'm doing a getting ready to relaunch. Uh, Jane Austen lied to mm-hmm. me. I've got a um, the romantic comedies these days all have these very specific sort of cartoon covers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to update the cover. And there's you know you go through and you find that one missing period. It's like, damn it, I'm going to fix that. And a couple other, you know, so little little things that some readers have been overlooking and other readers are, are uh, might not have even seen. I'm going to fix them because they deserve better than my stupid errors sitting in there. Um, but then actually one that what I would love to do, mm-hmm. and I, I actually tried before, I want to go to Gone with the Wind and tell the story of um, Scarlett's mother. Wow. 
it was all it just like this one. It was a, a, a chat in a Reddit group talking about these things. And I, uh-huh. somebody asked a question, is Scarlett O'Hara really Gerald's daughter? Like, yes. Was are you sure it's not Philly Reillards? It's like, no, but I'll look up the passage. Flip, 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 flip. <laughs> no, it says right here. It was a year after the marriage that Scarlett's born. So thank you for playing, but no. <laughs> Well, it, it intrigued me and I did some preliminary looks, but of course the Margaret Mitchell estate uh, yeah. has to give permission. Yeah. And so I, I looked into it. I made phone calls. I, I got through several closed doors and then I got to this stopping point where they, the, uh, um, the archdiocese, there, I, there was like some transitions going on and so mm-hmm. forth. And mm-hmm. one of the member uh, the owners of the state was gone, had just recently gone. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hit this dead end and I couldn't get past this dead end. So I, I don't know if I go back to that yet, because I dare say there are a lot of Jainites who'd be really annoyed with me if I did that. Mm-hmm. So uh, once I, you know, with, with that idea, it, you know, if there are other characters in other books that I want to tackle, um, I have the, the, there are always 20 books with characters banging at the inside of my brain to get out. Uh-huh. One of them that I was ready to go for, uh, somebody else went and wrote. In the meantime, I, it was I was starting before I started the Miss Fairfax book. Mm-hmm. I had just started writing the story of J. Pierpont Morgan's um, librarian. Okay, it is this crazy love, quirky love story mm-hmm. about this twenty-one-year-old young woman from um i want to say she was working at harvard library when uh morgan's nephew says hey bell come with me i have i need to i need you to talk to my uncle okay where's that well it's up in new york sure okay um so take the train to new york oh you didn't tell me your uncle is jp morgan And uh, he hires her as his librarian because, well, other wow. um, other robber barons, their jam was art. Clay uh-huh. Frick has this, you know, art collection that we now call the, you know, Frick Museum, and uh, you know, various others have various artistic things. Morgan was into the antique books. He had crates and crates and crates of of antique man, you know, originals, you know, the original manuscript in Charles Dickens' own handwriting. Wow. You know, you know, Gutenberg Bibles. He just had this you know, worldwide, the, the, one of the best collections in the world for antique manuscripts. He bought in garage sales, boxed them up, took them back, and they were just you know cluttering the attic, cluttering the second bedroom, cluttering the other bedroom. He then he ended went and like, I'll just build it their own building. We call it the Morgan Library today. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I got the all the crates moved into that new building. Now, what do I do with them? I need to hire somebody to, to, you know, unbox them, catalog them, weed out anything that's a fake. Well, that was where Belle da Costa Green comes in. And, you know, here's this, the, the two of them would have like screaming fights in the library at two in the morning and they would stay, stay up all night talking to each other. He's in his 60s. She's 20, you know, and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, Somebody asked once, uh, they, uh, later, late in life, they asked Bell, were you and JP, were you ever lovers? I mean, JP had a lot of lovers. Were you guys ever? Mm-hmm. And Bell's answer was, we tried. Wow. 
What does that mean? I wanted Thanks. to find out. I was going to write that book. I had contacted the uh, Bell's Letters are in Italy and uh -huh. in, in Florence, Italy. They were not, um, they had not transcribed. Well, the librarian I'd been talking with, we'd been, we'd been talking and next thing you know, COVID, everything's closed down. Yeah. I have yet to this day to find out whether that librarian I'd been contacting, is she still alive? I do not know. Well, I was, now I got into the Fairfast project and as I'm finishing this, it's like, I could go back to writing Bell Green's story. And that's when one of my best friends said, hey, did you see this? And some other uh, New York Times bestseller woman who likes to write a lot of books mm -hmm. has just released it like three months ago. So now I have to buy a copy and see what some other author did with my story. But, but, but it, it doesn't seem that you're at a loss by any stretch of the imagination for, for ideas. Yeah, it's sort of like, okay, since Bell's story has been liberated, it's not my responsibility now uh -huh. to go through all of that agony of get, I have to tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. Now I can go on to another one of my there other stories. There you go, there you go. And, and I always keep your audience guessing. Um, in, in the meantime... <laughs> Uh, the book is My Dearest Miss Fairfax, What Jane Austen's Emma Didn't Know by Jeanette Watts. Uh, I will link to the book and also to Jeanette's website, JeanetteWatts.com, in the notes. Um, yeah. You are an absolute force of nature. Uh -huh.